Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Advantage. I am your host, Michael Fiddle, and on today's podcast, an NBA Finals breakdown with Austin. We talked a lot of Game 1 bets, series angles, player props, pace and total, as well as series-long total bets. Things like to lead the series in rebounds or to be the main scorer in the series. There's a lot of great content, a lot of good stuff to bet. If you could please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, that would be great. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I also want to let you guys know I'm going to be appearing on Dan Besbury's Fantasy NBA Today podcast on Wednesday. We are going to be doing a similar discussion, breaking down the best bets for the NBA Finals and different ways to cap this series. If you want to listen to me and Dan talk, you can find that on his podcast platform. Again, Fantasy NBA Today. That episode will be coming out Wednesday. This podcast is going to be released on Tuesday, and I will be back here on this platform throughout the NBA Finals and into the NBA offseason. Content will not be stopping here on The Advantage. Again, enjoy this conversation, and I hope we win some money from it. All right, welcome back. We are now joined again by Austin. How you doing, AV? How was your was game good. seven? Thank you for having me. Um, I appreciate uh, the NBA for, for keeping that game close as best they could. Um, and it was ended up being pretty exciting. What'd you think? I thought, you know, it's funny. The last time we spoke was after the last game sevens. Now we're talking again after a conference finals game seven. I'm kind of hoping this uh, predicts the NBA Finals and we get a Game 7 there, if there's any, if we set the tone at all by having I these mean, conversations. I was going to say, it almost feels like this round was an exact flip of last round. We were talking about those Game 7s. The, the, the round was amazing, great series, and the Game 7s kind of disappointed. And this Game 7 sort of saved an otherwise blowout-heavy uh, uh, conference finals in both conferences. Yeah, I would say that the Game 7 Celtics Heat was definitely the best game of the conference finals. I mean, we had so many blowouts. We had those statistics of, like, only seven minutes of clutch time through, what, like, 19 playoff games. Uh, But I thought the funny thing was that even though this was the best conference finals game, there was also zero lead changes. The Celtics won wire to wire. So it's like pretty ironic that even in the best game, Game 7 in the series, it was close. There was still not a single lead change. I mean, when you say it like that, yes, that makes sense. Celtics were up early in the whole game. I was like, oh, I hope that this doesn't turn into a blowout. And the Heat, Heat and the rest did keep it close. But but you're right. They were, they were not, a, not a single lead change. Late in the game, what was it? It was a three-point game at least at one point. I don't know if it was got all the way down to tied. I think it might have been tied late. Um, but, I mean, everyone's going to be talking about that Jimmy shot. I, I know Jeff Van Kundy was, was pretty adamant that it was the wrong move, and I'm, I'm sure the numbers back him up. Um, and in keeping with what I'm talking about in, like, the, the NBA and the refs, they're not, obviously, they're not rigging the game at all. That's not what I'm saying. But when you have a team like the Heat and then the Celtics to match, where they foul, you know, every player, every possession, the refs have a lot of subjective control, and they call what they want, and so it kind of helps keep the, the pace of the game or, or, or keeps the game close. Um, and I thought they were able to do that, and they would have been able to do that if he just put that pressure on Al and forced him to maybe make a, make a call there, and then he goes to the line. But uh, the, the upside of hitting that three and going up and being such a hero is is maybe too much to pass up. Do you know who Bob Volgaris is, Austin? No. Uh, I want to say he was that – he was the Mavs guy that – they thought was like there to oust Rick Carlisle. So yes, he, he was, you know, part of some turmoil in the Mavericks front office, but what Haralabob is what he's known as, his name's Bob Volgaris. He's actually the best NBA gambler of all time, right? He's a, used to be a professional poker player. And then he came up with these like models and these systems to play basketball games. He was crushing first quarter bets. He was absolutely cleaning up in the casinos, um, all the sports books put like special limits on him. Um, the end, the end, the Mavericks ended up hiring him saying, you clearly have figured something out that correlates statistics and winning. Can you come be part of our front office and our analytics department? So he was part of the regime that drafted Luca. Um, and he was very instrumental in like 
dictating in the way that they played and the style of pace and all that stuff is like what the new NBA and all that stuff. So what I bring all this to say is after the game, he went on a nice little Twitter rant, which I could read you some of the things if you're interested, explaining why the Jimmy Butler shot was actually the right shot to take. Interested in any of the information? I was going to say, yes, either send it to me or go into details now even. I, I love that to hear that. Go ahead. All right, let's uh, let's um, let's do it now. Why not? Nice. Um, I mean that does that does feel like a very Dallas thing to do to bring in that sort of player. And and look, the Luca the Luca move is you know the most important trade and draft pick that any franchise has made for a long time. They put themselves in a tough position post Dirk and, com- and completely salvaged it with that pick. I mean it's it's huge. Okay, I found the start of his tweet rant. He says, well, first off, his, his prior tweet to start in the Jimmy Butler rant was, this was the Jeff Van Gundy flu game, which I think is an amazing <laughs> tweet. It, it <laughs> wasn't. And you texted me, like, why does he sound that way? We knew Mike Breen was out with COVID, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's I, I know that they could, it would have been way worse to have two of their star announcers out. But in this day and age, if you're sick, you got to stay home, right? You don't know what it is. Yep. Yeah, he was... Honestly, I was texting you when you told me that Breen was out because COVID, which I wasn't aware of. I immediately texted you like they need to test Jeff like right away. Yeah. I said he sounds like Squidward from SpongeBob. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, was, right, so- there were times where he sounded just OK. And there were times that it was like, oh, my God, like that's the second half horrible. was bad. Second half was like yeah. he was struggling. All right. Well, I hope he gets rested up for the finals. Gets a few days off. Yep. Here's the reasons that Haralabob highly suggests following him at Haralabob. His name is Bob Fulgaris again. He starts off with the idea of playing five extra minutes of OT probably had something to do with that Jimmy shot. Um, the man played every minute. Forget the numbers. Trust his judgment. Then he says, few things to think about. They were down. There were 16.7 seconds left. Let's say he gets a layup and the game is tied. One, mm-hmm. the Celtics are 50% or more for being realistic to win an OT. Two, the sh- the Celtics can hold out for the last. Okay, shot okay, okay. I, I have to. I let's keep going through them, but I have to stop there. Historically, historically, the home team in a game seven or the home team in any overtime situation is the big favorite, and you often see the road team trying to do exactly what you're describing, which is take the three instead of the two because you're like, I want to avoid overtime in their building. But continue. Cor- correct, and and. Uh, you know, Miami was definitely the team that had momentum in that situation. So if yep. we were going to force yep. an OT, you would think the Celtics are playing a little scared and Miami's playing a little like, we're here, we're about to take this, and let's let's finish them off. Um, yep. His second thing was Celtics can hold for the last shot in regulation if it's tied. That's definitely true. I think the Celtics got the rebound with like 11 seconds left, uh, and they would have, if, if it had been a tie game, they would have held out for the last shot, which you could then probably put it at like 45% chance that they win at the end of regulation. Yeah, fine. Okay. Um, he says. I mean, he's he's also. I assume. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. He says. Gotta say, quote: Butler would have gotten an and one. Twitter is really illustrating just how results oriented some of you can be. Um, Jimmy Butler is a career thirty-two percent three-point shooter and 35% from three in this playoff series. The odds to, to win an OT are less than 50% if you bring out the smart card. At least make cursory attempt to break down smart. So he's going into analytics, not Marcus Smart, but there's, a, there's an analytics model that explains why. Like what you were saying, the Heat might actually be the, the team for 50% likelihood to win. He thought it was the Celtics. I'll keep going. Let me see if I can find... Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's just going to be, I guess, a difference of opinion. There's a lot of factors here. As much as I do really want to see his model here, and it's clearly been successful if, you know, they're, they're taking money from Vegas because their lines always seem right to me, I do think that you also have to factor in things like momentum, things like home court, and things like he's, he's saying Jimmy Butler, it must be exhausted, hasn't, hasn't sat a single minute of that game. I 
agree in theory, but he's a freak. Were you looking at him? He doesn't even sweat, dude. I'm like, uh, it's he doesn't seem to be tired. It's crazy. I know he is, is, his shot looked a little short on that, so people are talking about his legs maybe. But it's he he's another level in terms of his his preparation to get his body to that point where I mean, I when when Spo was interviewed in that classic third quarter to fourth quarter interview and they're like oh jimmy's played so much do you think he's gonna play the whole fourth normally you know coaches are like we'll see how it goes we may need him out there he was like yes yes <laughs> Jimmy, yeah, all all of them and jimmy wasn't even looking at the sidelines to come off the last few things yep. that volgara <laughs> says that you know we can use to polish off this discussion and segue over to the finals is uh fun fact for all you jimmy butler three-point shooting experts 34 percent of all of his threes this year were taken in the last six seconds of the shot clock what does this mean that his three-point shooting percentage of 25% or whatever it's been since he's come to Miami is foolish. Since coming to Miami, Jimmy has t- hasn't taken many threes, and a full one-third of them have been shot clock-saving grenades that have been tossed to him. Um, then he goes on to explain that Horford's def- Horford was in the solid defensive position and his outlet was man was covered. So if you think – also, last fun fact he says, this, one, this one's the best one. Jimmy Butler is 47% on transition threes. Whoa. I mean, that's the most significant one right there. Lead with that. That was a transition so, three where so he's I'm going, feeling I'm going, himself, I'm going to, I'm going to Let me explain myself really quickly. Yeah. He, he pinned that tweet, so it was at the top and not amongst the timeline like all the other ones were. So when I, scrolled, when I was scrolling back down to find it, <laughs> I didn't the find one, the most yeah. important one that was pinned to the top. So yeah, no, the most I, important I note him in all of this that. was yeah, – no, uh, Forty-seven percent transition three-point shooter, and he made that one at the end of the first half. Yep, yep. No, I, I, I am not hating on the shot at all, and it's, uh, I just think about how exciting it would have been if he hit that and they would have come back. I do think the Celtics are the better team; they deserve to win that series. Um, but this, that whole game was about the Heat not giving up and the Heat coming back and the Heat being underdogs but still sort of figuring a way to keep it close plus you know the refs helping out it was that was it was nice i always feel like i'm a lot of fans probably feel this way but like i'm on the side of you know the refs never have my back you know it's your your team gets screwed this was one game where you could watch and if you wanted the heat to win you were like oh thank you this this feels good I, I kind of agree. All right, let's segue this over to NBA Finals. Like you said, Celtics win the series 4-3. Um, now they play Golden State Warriors. Celtics having just gotten over the hump that they couldn't actually get over these past few years. Warriors back to the top of the mountain where they're very familiar with. Is there any part of you that's like a little bit worried that Celtics are glad that they made it here and not like we still have something to prove? Is, is you know, I, you know, Tatum invokes the Kobe job not done, or is it like now we've kind of silenced our doubters? Job not done. I, I really think that they that they are ready. I I think that that the they've already silenced the doubters. It's crazy how fast the narrative changes between, you know, the the Jays can't do it together, they have to break the whole thing up to, oh, this is one of a great defensive team and they could win this championship and stay young for a while. It is it is it is wild. I mean, it's another part of that is we talk about how um, how Brad Smart was a, a, a coaching genius, and, and if he couldn't figure it out with this team, and then first-year coach Ime Udoka, um, what's what's going on with Brad there? And I think some of it is you just need a new face in the locker room after a little while. That that media, that outside narrative, everyone's saying it's not going to work. Blah blah blah. A coaching change sort of takes some of that narrative pressure off, and they're like, okay, we can blame it on this. We can put some stuff aside. You almost start fresh, like we're we're in a better position. And part of it, too, is is they, they grew up and they got older, both Jalen Brown and Tatum, in their roles, smart to really growing up, understanding what they what they needed. So I, I don't think they are satisfied. Al, this is Al's last chance to win it all. Al, Al didn't want to go to the finals. Yes, the $5 million bonus helps. He wants to go to the finals, <laughs> but he's here to win. This is his last chance at a legacy championship. I think, what, um, another, I, I, yeah. another $7 million if he does win? Is that what it is? Oh, my God. I mean, and well-deserved. I can't believe how well he's playing. It, he gets caught out on a switch or in that situation with Jimmy on the fast break. And I'm thinking to myself, this is an old, 
big man. Like you're you're screwed in that situation, and he looks good every time. He every time that I think you know he's going to overplay and and try and get the block because he he won't get there fast enough. He plays conservatively and and kind of tricks the defender every time. I think he's going to do the opposite. It's it's I, I'm very impressed. Can with I that. can I just team? give you the perfect. Uh, sentence that sums up how well Al Horford is playing and how crazy Please. this is. The other bigs in Al Horford's draft class were Joakim Noah, Roy Hibbert, Long, done, done, been and uh, Greg Oden. <laughs> I mean, those are, I'm sure those are cherry picks and three hilarious, hilarious picks, but he's so old. And I don't know how long he played in Florida, but probably a long time. He won like multiple national championships there. I'm sure he yep. wasn't a one and done. Um, yeah, great, great for him. I don't know how he stayed so youthful. And right on the, the back end of his grandfather dying before game six. So you're, you know, this has got to be, for so many reasons, an emotional ride for him. It's great to see his dad at the game there. It's, um, good, good for him. Good for Al. Tiago Splitter and uh, Thad Young were also in that draft as bigs. If you think I was cherry picking the, the poor uh, okay, Thad Thad Young is. <laughs> oh, it was also a, we also have Yi Julian Leon and a, and one Kevin Durant. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, obviously the KD at the number two pick if that's the Odin draft, but a little yep. bit different with with the big man slide. All right, let's uh, but, let's stay yeah. on this coaching thing. How much do you think the Adoka first year versus Kerr in his sixth finals? Uh, compares so, to each other. I mean, I know I know Kerr remembers that his first championship was in one of his first years, so he knows this is possible. He's not, you know, taking that for granted and thinking that that he can just clown Yudoka. And we've seen Yudoka make good adjustments, whether it was from you know game one to game two in the in the Brooklyn series that they played very early on and, and had to you know had to get over a, a really tough first round challenge. Um, or, or if it was later on when uh, when they had to deal with Jimmy and they, they really shut him down for a couple duds earlier in that series, which ended up being big wins that they needed. Um, so I, I think that Udoka has what it takes. He has his team's confidence. He is confident in himself. He's coaching well. I think I think this isn't going to be lopsided either way. I think overall the, the Warriors' experience will matter, but I think that's a little more on-court experience. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I've been really impressed by Adoka. Um, Celtics haven't lost back-to-back games this postseason. So as soon as they've been kind of kicked down and they've had some ugly losses, they've had some 20-point losses, uh, as soon as they've been kicked in the mouth, they've had some you know instances where they completely stalled in the last five minutes and they let up a comeback, mor- moral defeating victory like for the other team. That Bucks game. Yeah, yeah ser- seriously. Um, you would think it was just like over for the Celtics once they went down 3-2 to the Bucks after game five. Um, and Adoka's somehow got this team to rally back and come look tough every single time. And they've come out and won every single time they've lo- after a loss. So you have to give credit to Adoka. You have to think that's somewhat adjustment-based. Um, my biggest thing for this, for this series, my biggest factor that's going to affect the series is – not the experience and not the newness that the Celtics are bringing this, but the actual rest. That's the rest disadvantage mm. that the Celtics are having coming into this series. So let's, let's talk about that for a second. Last time the Warriors got on a flight was coming, from game, coming home from game four against the Mavericks, May 23rd. I looked up the date a week ago okay, today. A week ago, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And the finals start Thursday, June 2nd. We're recording this on Monday night we'll release it on Tuesday um, the Celtics on the other hand since since the Warriors traveled home for from game four the Celtics have traveled to to Miami for game five home back to Boston for game six back to Miami for game seven back to Boston after game seven probably coming home today and now going to San Francisco on Tuesday or Wednesday for Thursday's game so not only do you have all this travel time and this extra games that you've been playing, you also lose a lot of preparation time on the back end. The Warriors have been sitting at home thinking we're probably going to play the Celtics. Let's start preparing and tilt our you know, film studies and our practice sessions towards 75 80% Celtics stuff, 20% heat in case they pull it off, but it's probably going to be the Celtics. Let's study up for the Celtics. And now they're ready, they're rested, they have their game plan, they're working on it, and the Celtics are just picking up their Warriors notebooks. 
Um, I, I'm, I'm concerned that that rest disadvantage and preparation disadvantage might be the biggest disadvantage the Celtics face. I have I have plenty to say, but just quickly, do you do you feel that way more just for game one or for the whole series that they're that they're then just on their back foot and in trouble across the board? Well, I think definitely in game one. So I'm already the first thing I did, I've been tweeting about this. I know this is a betting show, I'll mention it now. One bet that I'm definitely, definitely, definitely on is Warriors minus three point five in game one. You can get that line pretty much anywhere now. The early splits show that about eighty percent of the money is coming in on the Warriors, so I would take it while it's at 3.5 now because it's yeah, probably going to go to minus 4. 3.5 sounds too low. I mean, I'm, I'm with you there. 3.5 sounds too low to me. I'm with you on the travel aspect. I was thinking, you know, that that uh, Golden State, that San Francisco to Dallas flight is pretty long, but it's been so long since they've played. They really have been relaxing. Travel is much improved. It, it, is, it is a lot more comfortable for these players now, um, and they do get the extra, whatever it is, four, four days to figure it out. But I like your film game study comment. I don't know what breakdown they did between the Celtics and the Heat, but you got to think that all of that extra time to prepare um, mentally and, and to watch the film will will matter. And I, I go back, and as you're thinking that, you know, I'm trying to be the contrarian a little bit, and I'm thinking about LeBron and when he came into the Warriors in that game one when he was Kyrie-less I don't know what year maybe 2016 or something like that 17 when when you know they were way overmatched there was the game that JR made that big blunder and I felt like LeBron sold out and basically went for broke that first game thinking if we have a chance we have to steal this first game we have to win on the road and maybe we have to win this exact game so let's do everything that gives us a chance to do that I don't think the Celtics are in that same level of desperation, so I don't think they get that boost that I'm thinking of. I think you're right on this. The three and a half seems um, like a, a an easily overcomable margin for a team that that might not only be you know outmatched experience wise and kind of get punched in the mouth that way, but might be yeah a little ha- have some some legs, be a little shot, um, and sort of depending on what what goes on. I think they should be injury okay now. But you never know with Robert Williams and, and after his games and how he feels. I think I think Smart's over his thing. Yeah, and building off that, so let's assume that the Warriors win game one, right? So yep. you said how much does this affect your views on the series versus just game one? So if we're in agreement that the Warriors are in a really, really good spot for game one, and they also – so say they take game one, they go up 1-0, and they have game seven at home. Those situations in NBA Finals where their home team win game, game one – are 81% chance to win the series. So you have to think that if the if the Warriors take game one, keep home court advantage through the first game, uh, Celtics are in a must-win almost position in game two. Um, I foresee myself, Austin, I really do think that these teams are very, very evenly matched and both teams can win the series. And I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. interesting similarities to the way they play basketball, which we can talk about. Um, but I, I, I think that I will be playing the Warriors in game one. And then regardless of who wins that game one, I am going to be playing the loser in the series price. Yes. Immediately, because I think you're going to get better value right away. So to, to talk about this, I currently have a Celtics plus 185 ticket in for the finals. I put it in when they were 2-2 against Miami because I thought, oh, Celtics are clearly taking a hold of this series. I was wrong because it went game seven. Ultimately, they pulled it off. But I was very confident after game four when the Celtics tied it 2-2 that they were going to wrap it up pretty quickly. Um, So I put in a bet. Now that I'm looking at it, here's how I'm going to play that situation, Austin. I'm going to hedge off that plus 185 immediately. And before the series starts, I'm going to lock in profit because the Warriors are like a minus 155-ish right now. I'm going to see where that price falls before the game. But I'm expecting to be, again, around a Warriors minus 150. So if I take that for the same amount that I put in the plus 185, I have some locked in profit in that situation. Then my plan is to wait to see who loses game one and then re-enter the series market on that team because I'm going to, if the Celtics are losing that game one, which I expect them to, I'm going to get better value than the original plus 185 ticket that I have. So hedge off of that ticket right now and come back later and get probably a plus 220 in the market. 
I like it, and and it really plays along with what what we've discussed is that whether I don't know if it's just the media or, or people's short attention spans or what, but it's crazy how uh, extremely the narrative swings after one team wins. After one team wins, it feels like that's the only thing that could have possibly happened in that game and could happen in any game in the series. You're never going to be able to stop X player who went off and blah, blah, blah. And then the next game, they come back and they have adjustments and the other team wins and, and maybe it's a blowout and we saw some blowouts in the, the conference finals games and they're like, no way that team can lose now and it's okay. So play the opposite of those. Uh, obviously, people betting, betting lines reflect that. So if you if you can just play the opposite by by the time that you get to game seven, um, yeah, you you hopefully you're picking some some teams right here, and I know you were right about the Celtics a lot early on, so uh, all the way through, so well done. Um, but even if even if you're not right, you've you've won a bunch of games along the way just because you've gotten favorable lines because you've gone against the narrative trend. Exactly, and I think this is sort of a situation where even though I'm projecting forward these bets, I'm probably going to be playing both sides and just consistently locking yep. in profit. Right? Like just yep. flip, 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 flip. Um, let's let's uh, talk a little bit about how we expect the, the game and the pace of this series to go. The over-under for the first game came out at 210. It's now been bet up to 211.5, so... There's definitely some movement in the betting community thinking that the over is the right play, that these teams will want to push out and transition. Um, they're both pretty high-volume three-point shooting teams. They both shoot more than 40% of their offensive shots are three-pointers. Um, they both shoot them at a pretty good clip. Uh, and they both came in through last series. This is, this is kind of an important note, is I thought both of these teams in their last series clearly dominated in transition. Uh, the Celtics completely won game seven in transition, and the Mavericks are very much slow it down, play half court, and the Warriors sped them up as much as they could to get them confused. We're back cutting. We're just moving, moving, moving. Push, push, push. Um, so I, I'm, I'm thinking that these teams will both want to come into the series trying to push the tempo and that their pace numbers so far in the playoffs are not going to be totally indicative of what pace they want to play at because they were just playing against really slow teams and now two fast teams are going to want to play each other. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, I definitely don't think for, for all the people coming off of watching mostly this Heat-Celtics series that it's going to look anything like that. Uh, the Heat foul every player, every possession, and then for a defensive team like the Celtics, um, you have to match that, that physicality or, or you're going to be in trouble, especially if you hang your hat on the defensive side. So I do think that it's going to open up a lot more. Um, you, you're not going to see that. I, I, we talked about it. It was Udoka's biggest adjustment and biggest emphasis in, in the, the last couple games of the series um, was to switch to transition more and try and get those free points as they should. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know if it's going to look like you know an actual like Warriors breakout kind of transition game every game. That's sort of tough to predict. They go on some runs that do skew the scores sometimes but I I definitely think that you're going to see a closer pace to Celtics regular season or late season basketball than you than you um, were to that what Eastern Conference series where uh, they it was really it was a really grinded out game um, so I, I think you can you can go closer to the overs there I don't know what the numbers look like two two eleven sounds kind of low to me yeah, I, I'm personally not betting the over-under for game one. It's something I'm going to be watching. I lean towards the over, you know, nerf gun to my head if I had to bet it. I would uh, bet the over, but I'm not going to play it because, again, these teams, one of the first questions I wrote down for breaking down this series we haven't posted yet is, does defense still win championships? And I was going to come into that saying, you know, should we be should we be leaning Celtics because they have this amazing defense? But when I did, you know, more research on the stats and the reason why I haven't thrown it out as, you know, the premier question in this series is defense does still win championships. And that's being proven because we have the number one and two defensive rating teams in the finals right now. Uh, yeah, so I'm so, going to go so, with yes and, yes and no on the defense wins championships uh, thing if, if you want to have that conversation now. Well, let me, yeah, let's do it, but let's do it, but let me just, let me just explain. I was just like, in terms of betting the over under, because these teams are such good defenders, even though we expect uh, the pace to be upticked compared to their playoff numbers so far, 
we don't know if the efficiency is going to uptick in correspondence. So the efficiency might be a little lower because they're going against great defensive teams and cohesive units that have played together for long for a number of years. Um, so it might be a less efficient series, even though the ball's moving faster. There might be more shots put up, kind of like the you know, Milwaukee versus Boston series where the ball's moving quickly, but it's still very defensive and like, you know, there's 30 missed threes in a game because these guys are exhausted and the closeouts are tight and all the rotations are happening. Um, So no bet on the total. But again, um, let's talk about the defense. Austin, what what were you going to say? Does defense still win championship? I, I mean, more than people think for sure, especially coming off a regular season where, you know, NBA regular season defenses... Uh, it's it's not only less important, but you you what makes you successful defensively in the playoffs is not necessarily what would make you successful during the regular season. So you really see um, a, a different style become more effective and more important. So I I the Celtics hung their hat on their defense. Um, there's no doubt about that, and that was key. They got really hot second half of the season, rode that in. But you know they're not anemic offensively. They have Tatum, who has been great offensively you can give him the ball and let him go get a bucket everyone else has chipped in the, the no weak link thing on both ends of the court might be as important which is which what is what makes me say that i think it's it's really a little more balanced and it's a, a complex formula where a great defense is a huge part of that bigger than most people think but it's part of a bigger overall formula and the fact that offensively too the Celtics have no weak points, so that when other teams early in the earlier rounds had doubled Jason Tatum and they swing, swing, and now you're getting Grant Williams corner threes, you're getting Al Horford uh, like deeper wing threes, that they're making it a high rate because they can. There's no one you can help off of. There's there's no weak link on either end. It really helps them play as a co- cohesive unit. They believe in in themselves, and so I think that there are multiple ways to win a championship, as we've seen, especially. Uh, even easier, multiple ways to get to the finals, as we've seen, because both these teams have done it a little bit differently. Warriors with experience, a little more offense, a little more balance, and the Celtics um, being able to grind it out defensively with, with everybody. Um, but what, what, do you, what do you think? you think it's defense, this is like a big swing back, and we're going to see a, a defensive 90s revival? No, I, like I said, I think it's going to be more faster pace it's going to kind of look more like modern nba even though the shots might not go in at the same clip it's still going to look like you know 2022 basketball oh i do think that kind of the overall question of does defense win championships is kind of like muted because we have the one and two defense in the nba finals so like regardless of which team wins it's still like the defense is what got them here uh these teams are both defense first They, they lean on their defense even i think the warriors uh, whole program is kind of misunderstood. They're kind of interpreted to be this high-volume three-point shooting team, and uh, all they do is just shoot a ton of threes. It's actually, like, not true at all if you look at their numbers. They're historically an amazing defensive team. They were always, n- like, number one or number two in defensive efficiency through through their five-year previous title run. This is the sixth time they've been back, and again, they're second in the league in defensive efficiency. They've literally always been top five in defensive efficiency, Every year they've made the finals. This is a really, really good defensive team. Um, I no, I I completely agree, and it's it's a great point that you bring up, and I think part of it is because they were so instrumental in kind of the three point revolution and being one of the most and earliest successful teams. Clay and and Steph being the best shooting backcourt, you assume oh they shoot all the threes, that's their thing. But but you're absolutely right that they've been able to defend and defend in a way that is so effective in the playoffs. The way that they switch, although hiding Steph has been hard at times, and and most great defensive teams don't have that kind of hole. He has gotten better, and they have as a team gotten better at at figuring out how to hide that. They have been a, a good defensive team, especially in the playoffs. But I will say that a lot of it too is is are you hot and are you healthy at the right time, and and that's you know not a formula that you can plan for in the draft or, or in free agency in the offseason, you just kind of have to get lucky there. I mean, at the beginning of the playoffs, we were talking about how, oh, what's going on? This could be a big disappointment because there's so many question marks on the health end between Luka and Steph and Draymond and Clay and all. I mean, the fact that the Warriors are so healthy now and they had so many question marks, a, a lot had to go right there. And, and I'm Crazy. happy People it did. thought Draymond's season was going to be over. Yeah, it was. I mean, he had so many weird dates where people were like, "Oh, it's only a couple more weeks," and then there was 
they were not picking a game, and it was kind of strange, and you were like, are they holding him out? Is it is it worse than you think? Steph not being back really even much at all before the playoffs is scary because you want someone to get a rhythm. Letting Clay get a rhythm, but seeing him turn into kind of like an inefficient volume shooter, uh, that was kind of scary. So, But it, it all worked. They knew what they were doing. Dude, you want to know what literally just struck me? The last time that these two teams played together was when Marcus Smart injured Steph's hand. You know, that game doesn't doesn't uh, come to mind. He, he, did he do something dirty? I mean, they talked about, is it dirty? It clearly wasn't dirty. They wasn't actually okay. accusing. But the whole reason why Steph was out late in the season was because Marcus Smart ran into it, like dove into him and hit his hand awkwardly and caused his injury. This is like the, wow. this is the first time that these two teams will be seeing each other since... Since that, um, let's go through the matchups. We'll have we'll have Smart on Curry. That one's pretty obvious. Uh, I think you know Clay Thompson and and Jalen Brown. That one's pretty obvious. Tatum and Wiggins. You got to assume since Wiggins was guarding Luca, Wiggins will probably get the first Tatum assignment. I, I'm very confident they're putting Wiggins on Tatum. It's a big Horford assignment. And, Horford yeah, and Draymond and Looney and, yeah. and Looney and Time Lord. It seems pretty much straightforward in the matchups. If, if both teams go double big, yep. Sometimes the Celtics go smaller with Grant or even Derek White, and then sometimes the Warriors go smaller, uh, where they they run their their big man lineup of where their front court is Wig and, and Dre. But I I think both teams match up kind of well with each other, so neither of them are you know trying to sneak those bigger or smaller lineups past teams to get a to get a mismatch. They'll both just kind of uh, match up. Th- those are great matchups. Do you think that Marcus Smart's defensive talents? are best aligned for Steph. I know that he, he holds him to a, a, historically a pretty a pretty low efficiency compared to what Steph does against other people, but I don't think of Marcus Smart as necessarily being a chase you around the perimeter and through screens and off ball. I think of him more as being disruptive at the top. Yeah, like you'd rather have Drew Holiday following this man around this series. Right? But um, I think this will be the time for... Marcus Smart to kind of prove himself as Defensive Player of the Year and in that tone also just show the league that Defensive Player of the Year doesn't mean a stopper. It means making it harder for the superstars. So do I expect Curry to be stopped? Definitely not. Do I expect Marcus Smart to make life a lot harder on Curry and Curry to look pretty gassed by like Game 5, Game 6, maybe the way kind of Chris Paul was looking in that Maverick series, that's what you would hope if you're trying to back the Celtics. You would hope that Smart's physicality, that is kind of constant Patrick Beverly-like tendencies, just wears Steph down over the course of a series and makes life really difficult for him. Let me ask you a few questions, Austin. Who do you think is – you think there's a chance there's, – there's, there's bets right now out for MVP odds as opposed to the series odds, right? And obviously – Tatum and Steph Curry are the clear two favorites on their team. So right now, this if you were going to bet the Warriors series price, it's a minus 160, but Steph MVP is plus 105. Uh, the Celtics are a okay. plus 130, but taking Jason Tatum is a plus 180. Uh, is there a situation that you can envision where, regardless of which team wins, it's not Curry or Tatum winning MVP? So it's. I think the situation kind of comes from what you were just talking about, those matchups. I, I, first of all, let me preface this by saying very unlikely. If the Celtics win, it's almost definitely going to be Tatum. And if the Warriors win, not only is it almost definitely going to be Steph because of how they play and how he'll play, but mostly because narrative-wise, the world and the NBA needs him to get an NBA Finals uh, MVP. So I, I do think it'll be the two of them. But one way that it, that it, uh, that it might not be is what you were talking about. And if guys like a Marcus Smart who, even though he won Defensive Player of the Year, a lot of people, you know, have been talking shit after the year when he's had bad matchups and said, this is your Defensive Player of the Year. You know, it's more a team a team defensive scheme with the Celtics. Robert Williams was great, and then he got hurt, so he was out of it. There's a, there's a lot back and forth, and, I, and I've been a part of that discussion. If, if Marcus Smart comes in and shuts Steph down and, and holds him to, let's say, an inefficient... 18 to 22 a game and they and they the Celtics win decidedly and and the leading score on the Celtics is you know anyone from Tatum to Brown it switches off so there's less of a dominant person that's a situation where the finals MVP could be someone else if if Wig comes in and they destroy and and Tatum is wildly inefficient can't score can't get anything off have to do a lot more than he did on Luka and he was great on Luka so that's saying something he could maybe have a shot 
but realistically, no, neither of them. I, I think it has to be um, it has to be Steph or or Tatum. Maybe Draymond. Do you think? So, right now the odds go Steph one, Tatum two, Jalen Brown three. Uh, it jumps from like I said, Steph is plus one hundred five, Tatum plus one eighty. It immediately jumps to Jalen Brown plus one thousand. Clay Thompson and Draymond plus fourteen hundred, Jordan Poole plus thirty six hundred, Marcus Smart forty to one, Wiggins forty one to one, Al Horford one hundred and twenty to one. So the books are clearly pricing in what I'm about to say. Is I think we're both in pretty clear agreement. It's very, very, very likely either Tatum or Curry, and for that reason, one thing that I talked about doing was you know betting both series prices and betting back and forth. Something within that that I also plan on doing is splitting my bet. So I'm betting half that amount on the Warriors series and the other half that amount on Curry's MVP. Uh, and then I'm betting half the amount on Celtic series and then half that amount on Tatum MVP. Because if you're just merging them, I'm getting slightly better odds. And I think, again, very, very likely to that you know Curry and Tatum are going to win these awards. And I think there's no no situation where either of them could have such a good series where if their team doesn't win the series that they could you know be a jerry west finals mvp that's not happening yeah so god it has forbid. to be tied to your team winning. yeah exactly well even if it did you'd be on both sides and you hopefully would lock in plus money but that's 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 not gonna happen i honestly thought that jimmy butler should have maybe gotten the 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 one in miami versus boston but i don't i also at the same time like you got to remember that, like, the Heat are in the locker room for that ceremony. Like, they're doing it on the court. It's a made-for-TV moment. It's like Jimmy's not coming back out to accept that award. It can't, so even yeah, if it Jimmy, can't be. It can't be. Even if Jimmy had won the award they're in the votes, they're switching it on sight on scene, calling it in, being like, nah, this doesn't work. Give it to Tatum. I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, again, more recency bias. He's had some crazy games that series, six and seven specifically, and those are the, the biggest ones. But he had some duds earlier in the series too, especially uh, earlier on when they thought the series was over. So I, I think Tatum is deserving. It's not near close enough. You know, I'm I'm someone who, who thought that LeBron, the first time that, that they lost in the, the finals, certainly should have been MVP, and you're Agreed. on board, love it. Um I, I don't know of too many others off the top of my head, but you just can't. It, they should almost officially say, hey, look, I know Jerry West did it this one time. I know we consider it. That's not how this works. It's the best player on the winning team because you helped your team win. Who may really struggle in this series, players-wise? I mean, so who do I want to struggle? I, I would love I, – I don't know who I want to win, but I would love to see uh, Marcus Smart be able to do something for real on Steph to, to you know – Take him out of his game in a significant enough way that it changed how the, the Warriors run their offense. Maybe the sort of situation where you see Jordan Poole have more success than than Clay, and then you, I mean, or, or sorry, than Steph, and then you see that Marcus Smart uh, defense, that matchup, really look good. Um, maybe Al Horford because they don't need him as much. Um, what he was able to do on Bam, what he was able to do with Giannis, Grant Williams, similarly, these are role players who shined in their role because they were so needed i don't know you know what they need them to come in and shut down draymond that's not really how that works i think we see a bit of a disappearing act a little bit from the two of them and then hopefully that means that now robert williams is back to being more effective um we can get him more minutes we can play a little more help d and not you know just ask uh, everyone to play one-on-one because al and, and grant did so well in their matchups yeah, I asked you that question as kind of like a roundabout way to wonder, like, who might we be able to fade in some player props? Uh, and, like, who may be, like, if, if we think if we think Smart's going to actually show out on defense, can we fade, you know, Curry's 27 and a half points? Uh, <clears throat> if we think that, you know, my pick was Jordan Poole, that I think Jordan Poole's going to struggle a bit because I think uh, Clay's length, uh, Wiggins' defense – and Gary Payton Jr. seconds uh, coming back oh, for the back? series. Oh, yeah. Oh, Kerr said he's going to be available. Uh, so I he might come in that. and get some minutes. So I just thought you might, and considering these teams are going to be so defensive and they close out so well on the three, I would think that Clay's skill set of just being able to quickly put up a three is going to be more important than Poole's ability to put the ball back on the ground. Um, so I was going to try and think that maybe Poole's min- minutes are a little bit less and maybe Poole struggles a little bit when he's on the court. 
Um, so I'm going to be playing Jordan Poole's under 15.5 for game one. Um, and I'm also planning on playing Draymond's under 8.5. I think anytime you get Draymond over eight points, it's worth playing the under. The guy just doesn't look for his shot ever. Um, he is going to be left open a lot. Uh, the Celtics are going to try and make him a primary scorer or try and make him be an offensive weapon. Uh, same thing that they've done with, you know, the Bruce Browns and the PJ Tuckers and those kind of guys. Um, so I, I think they're going to try and make Draymond shoot, but Draymond's not someone who shoots when you try and make him. He tries to create, still tries to create something else and he just doesn't look for a shot and he's not that efficient. So I don't think Draymond's going to be that effective around the rim. I think he's going to get a lot of open look threes, and I think he's going to go, you know, two of seven and have six points. So I'll be playing Draymond. I, I like Hunter. I like the pool one especially, uh, especially in game one where you don't know what his usage is is going to be yet. Obviously, it could change throughout the series, but if they go heavier Looney, that cuts into his time. Heavier Clay obviously cuts into his time, and and. Even though I don't know what percentage Clay is back to defensively, he gives you a lot more uh, than Jordan Poole does just from his body alone. Um, you know, it's it's tough to have Poole and Steph out there at the same time. I assume you can kind of pick on them and pick and rolls a little bit. They're a little smaller. Depending on what they're calling that game, you can just kind of go through them a little bit uh, more easily. And the Celtics Draymond, do that. The Celtics will hunt they do. this match. They, they hunt. They hunt. You know, they're not, you know, uh, there were times in the finals where you felt that LeBron and Kyrie, when they were playing the Warriors all those years, were almost exclusively Steph hunting, and I don't know if, if the Celtics will be to that level or if Steph's defense is deserving of that level of hunting, but the Celtics will hunt, um, and, and it'll also, it it hurts the, the efficiency. Someone like Poole, maybe is what has made him so effective is le- less pressure coming off the bench, less pressure when you have so many great shooters around you, and you're asked to do less defensively, because, um, you know, you're not known for a stopper. If they're putting him in every pick-and-roll action, you know, they're beating up on him a little. Now it's it's he's a little more tired. It's a little less exciting. He gets that one look. He misses. Now it, it, it hurts a little bit more. Um, I like that game one, both uh, even if he does play and, and if he gets left less minutes. Um, that could obviously hurt his chance of getting to 15-plus as well. You know, the, the hunting point you may kind of – brings up this idea of maybe playing Steph's under points later in the series. If they're going to continuously hunt Steph game after game, that is what's going to wear him down. Like we've seen Chris Paul have like those ghost games where he's scoring like four points because they're just literally putting him through 60 pick and rolls. Mm -hmm. So if they do that for Steph and we're getting a game total where he's, you know, over under 27 and a half, like take the under and maybe he only scores 21 and he has like nine assists instead. So like, I will be looking, if the Celtics go hunting in, in game one, I will be looking to come back and play a Curry under in maybe his game two, three, four, depending on when we see how physical it starts to get. Um, let's go through some fun ones, Austin, before we wrap this up. Um, there are some bets on DraftKings. FanDuel doesn't always have these, but DraftKings does have them up. If it's legal for you to bet for, on FanDuel, it will be legal for you to bet on DraftKings. Um, so I'm looking at the series long props so these are regardless of how long it goes who's going to be the leading scorer in the series who's going to be the leading rebounder uh these are totals and not per game averages so like say rob williams misses a few games you could bet the averages i lean towards playing the totals instead because uh you know i I think you could get like a situation where like Rob Williams plays game one, has 11 rebounds, and then is ruled out the rest, and he's kind of got locked in at an 11-rebound average. Um, so let's go through some of these. The scoring leader is Jason Tatum at minus 125. Uh, the other options are Curry plus 155, Jalen Brown plus 850, Clay Thompson plus 4,000. Is There's a few others. Is there any other name that you want I mean, me to it's, mention, it's, or is there anyone? I was like, going to say, if if Tatum isn't a big, big favorite, then then I'm taking him in the odds. We have to see how the Warriors defend him, but I guess that's part of you know baked into the prop bet here. Whereas the Warriors could any given night have someone go off. I'd be surprised if it wasn't Steph, but anyone could go off at the end of a series. Totals could look more balanced. I would be surprised if the if the Celtics totals looked so balanced. If the Celtics totals do look balanced. That, to me, says that they blitz Tatum probably means they got open looks for, for some of their role players. And, and I, I think you want that as the Celtics offense. I doubt the, 
the Warriors do that, where they try to take Tatum away so aggressively that they give up easy shots. Yeah, I think, you know, you said as long as Tatum's not a heavy favorite, I actually think in this situation being a actual, like, odds-on favorite, like getting back negative money when you're one of many players over the course of a series, I think that is pretty long odds. Like, I would like this at, you know, a plus 105 or even odds to consider it not long odds. So I do think those are pretty fairly long odds not great value on Tatum. I do think you could consider betting like maybe a Jalen Brown at a plus 850 and hoping that he has like a 27 point game one and then hedging it. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't likely go there because the man can't dribble at all. Um, okay. Rebounds leader. Al Horford this is the is plus. Yeah. Al Horford is the plus 125 favorite. Kevon Looney is plus 165. Robert Williams plus 900. Draymond Green, also plus 900. If you want me to call out anyone else, I'll be happy to. I do think of note yeah, give that... Me, give me Wiggs also. That's the only one I want also. Wiggins plus 8,000, 80 to 1. Okay. You so <laughs> uh, I just want to point out before you can go on and explain the, the warrior side of this is the, the Rob Williams versus Al Horford. You would think Rob Williams might be you know, closer to even with, with Big Al. But if you look at Game 7, Rob Williams had literally zero rebounds, uh, and he got a reduction in his minutes. Clearly that knee was bothering him, and this, some Celtics people have said that he just really didn't have the same amount of lift. Um, so if you're looking that the Celtics might play small, they're going to prefer to play Horford in those with Grant Williams. Uh, Horford looks healthier even though he's coming off the COVID situation. I would think... Yes, Rob Williams plus 900 looks nice. He also might miss games because he's been doing that all postseason. I would be very hesitant to bet uh, anyone on the Celtics not named uh, Al Horford, and I probably don't love the odds at plus 125. How do you feel about those Warriors odds? I mean, I, I would say that it's too hard to pick uh, Robert Williams or anyone else on the Celtics also. That's a good call. His, his usage is just going to be too unknown, um, both injury-wise and play style-wise. I know... He was so dominant on the boards in the regular season. But again, regular season playoffs, almost like a whole different game, different league. On the Warriors' side, so many interesting choices here because, again, you don't know play style, what they're going to do. I do think that they go more loony because the Celtics sometimes go double big with Rob and Al. And even, even without when it's just Al, Al's a legit big and you want to keep him off the glass. So I do think they go more Looney, and then when, when Looney plays and starts and gets his, you know, his 22 to 28, he's never above that, but his 22 to 28, he almost always leads them in rebounds. What I will say, though, and I know that clearly Wiggs must be such a long shot if it's 80 to 1, but that kind of money, 80 to 1, can, can be exciting. I mean, just to put a little bit on, when the, Celt when the Warriors, excuse me, go small and they go with their front line of Draymond and Wiggins, what they do is they ask Wiggins to lock down the other five, sit on his knees, maybe take someone else out in the lane, and Wiggins, they want to come flying through getting the rebound. So it's it's less often going to be Draymond getting the rebound defensively, even though he's putting the work in, and more often Wiggins um, flying through and, and picking up the scraps there. The way that they do that too, and even Steph comes back and steals some rebounds for a little guy, um, I think that... You know, some of the longer shot guys like a, like a Wiggins or a Draymond um, are, are exciting there. Because even though I agree that Looney is most likely, because you don't know what's going to happen play style, his minutes could fluctuate. If you are taking the prop bet totals and not averages, I think that, that Draymond or Wiggins could be kind of exciting. And, and these are more fun bets, obviously. Um, but, um, yeah, that's, that's my take on the Warriors there. I, I think that... That I because I don't know what what either of these teams is is gonna do um, in terms of their personnel whether they go bigger or smaller. Uh, uh, most of what I'm betting on is is kind of my best guess of whether I think they go bigger or smaller. Um, and so I think the most exciting plays are actually on the Warriors side, potentially going smaller, and then you can the Draymond or the Wiggins can be really valuable. But I'm not sure. What about countering? I, I really love all those points. What about countering the Warriors small ball lineup with taking like Tatum at plus 950? If you think back to the last series, like Luka was the Mavericks lead rebounder. And so if Looney is, wasn't on the court, it would have been Luka as the lead rebounder in that series. And there were some games where in the Miami series, I think there was one game where Tatum had 12 rebounds and nine assists. Or, um, 
So he's capable of getting those double-digit rebounds. And you think even Jalen Brown had a bunch of games where he had like seven rebounds. Um, I was struggling not to interrupt you and talk over you as you were going through that because I love that point. Now that you directed my attention there, that kind of takes away a lot of the risk that I'm talking about in terms of what does the Celtics lineup look like? Is it more Rob and Al? Do they need Al as much because you don't need to stop someone like a Bam or a Giannis? Tatum is getting those minutes. Those rebounds will be there for Tatum. No matter what, he's going to be in the hunt. And if you have situations where there's an Al night, there's a Rob night, there's a Grant night, there's a Jalen night, and Tatum every, you know, has a couple big ones, has a minimum six to eight every game. Now you sneak Tatum in at nice odds there. I, I, I like that. Yeah, I'm actually – I'm going to do this right now, Austin. I'm going to put yeah. a quarter of a unit on both Tatum, the plus 950, and Draymond at the plus 900. Nice. I think nice. The, the chances that you know these teams go small, the chances that the bigs miss some time, the chances that Looney is the only big in this series that I could expect to be played off the court a little bit um, – for those reasons, I think taking these smaller guys who are actually good rebounders historically uh, has a nice chance. And I think if you look at it, Draymond Green and Kevin Looney average the same amount of rebounds on the year. Draymond plays more minutes, which is going to be the same exact thing in the series. They, they might average the same amount, and he's going to play more minutes. So give me the guy with more minutes. Grab one extra I, board for I, me. I'm, I'm, I'm so enthusiastically on board. I'll text you offline, but give, give me Tatum and Wig on that as well. I'm going in there with you. Okay, we will. We, we can make that happen. All right, um, assist leader. Uh, Draymond's the favorite, plus 105. Steph Curry and Marcus Smart are come up next. Pl- those are each plus 300. Tatum, plus 425. And I don't think I need to mention anyone else. There's some really long shot odds after that. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if it's anyone but Draymond. The only thing that, that scares me a little bit about being so heavy Draymond and on both of these on the rebounds and assists is that he's the kind of player that really doesn't care about stats and if he can put his team in a situation with a hockey assist or or or, or trying to box out two guys where you don't get the stat on either end of those the assist or the rebound he's going to do that Uh, so even though I I I see him as being a a good bet in the rebounds like we said and I see him as being the the most likely player to to lead and assist because of, of what he means to their offense and because of the way the Celtics play with no real point guard, where, yes, it could be smart any given night. It could be uh, Tatum or Brown. It, I mean, I've seen Al Horford have plenty of nights where he looks like he's on pace for a triple-double. So I I think it's going to be Draymond there, but that's not a fun bet with those lines. So, um, yeah, I don't love the Draymond odds. I was thinking maybe Curry a little bit uh, just because the ball is going to be in his hand so much. And, again, if they're – throwing him through so many pick and rolls and blitzing him all the time. He might want to try and get the ball out of his hands a little bit. So maybe a plus 300. I don't love it. Uh, Tatum has been a great creator. Marcus Smart's been having like these seven assist games. So I'm probably no bet on the assists. Yeah. I'm only betting on the, uh, the uh, rebounds market on this one. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, the other thing I was just worried about, if you were going to bet, I mean, I do think that Draymond is going to be played off of a lot in this series, which is going to open up a lot of opportunities for him to be a playmaker and have some assists. What they do with him when it's actually a very smart way to utilize someone who's a non-shooter on the court is they have the three-point pick-and-roll thing yep, where he yep. becomes the handoff screener and his man is so far away that he just sets exactly. a screen on Clay or Steph or Poole's guy and it just opens up for a lethal uh, shooter. So I think that is like the little wrinkle that uh, might lead to Draymond getting a lot of assists because I definitely think the the Celtics are going to play off of him a bit. Um, so that's why I don't want to. And But then the flip side of that is, you know, I just looked it up. Draymond's got 17 techs on the season. You don't know when that, you know, next tech and, and suspension comes in and or if he gets a double tech or yeah, ejected yeah. one game. Like he's too much of a head case to be betting on him in both rebounds and assists. I'll just take my rebounds and call it a day there. Especially, especially in the totals, especially if let's say they're on pace for a gentleman sweep and, you know, then he sneaks a definite suspension game in there. That they <laughs> him and, and it's, it's that sort of thing. I mean, I, um, I, I'm on board there. I don't know if, if I should be giving Kerr credit in this or not, but it is crazy that, you know, that was one of the problems in an offense for so many years. If you had a big or even just a, a wing guy who couldn't shoot, then, your defender just sits off you and he can guard everyone else at the same time. The fact that they use him so effectively 
in that dribble handoff situation, just basically saying, look, you have to get through everything now because you're telling me that your drop defender is going to be nowhere near enough to help because he's nowhere near me when I'm at the three-point line. It's, it's great. He obviously knows how to use his body very effectively. He knows Steph's rhythm, his cadence, the way they cut off each other. All that plays in. So it's, you know, it's not just that they came up with this idea, but it's, it's huge. It's huge. All right, I think we've made it through talking about all the bets. Uh, we've come to this final time, Austin. What is your prediction? Who you got? How many games? I got the Warriors, and I got them in seven because I want seven games really, really badly. I, I mean, more than anything, I want seven games. These are not my two favorite franchises of all time. I don't want to come off as a hater per se. I would say these days I don't really have – uh, a, a home team that I root for that has rivals and hated teams, so it's easier for me to just like players. But historically, you know, Boston, not my favorite franchise ever. Historically, um, you know, Golden State has been so effective, um, and they've taken down some LeBron teams that I've that I've liked along the way. And you know, I, again, I'm, I'm I'm putting my own stuff into this, but some of the like the the Joe Lacobe long. Uh, pieces where he came out and said we're light years ahead of everyone and all this stuff even though pieces of this are true the over the top cockiness of just like oh we're smarter and we're more moneyed and we're more committed to this is like all right well fuck you guys a little bit um but i my money is on you guys should have Lamelo over instead of james wiseman (laughs) (laughs) that that's where i'm at oh and and the the embarrassment of riches situation with the warriors where i'm sitting there saying not only have they won so much, but look how they have the potential to win in the future. So it's almost like Crazy. the Celtics have been working towards this. They've done it the right way. Um, I love their coach. Not that I love Steve Kerr, too, but I love that they've sort of built, stuck to, to Jalen uh, and Jason. Um, and and I, I wouldn't be upset at all with the players winning in that organization. It's just hard for me to root green. But, uh, yeah, my money's on the Warriors. Experience wins out. I... Uh... I think I also lean dubs in seven, which is why I'll be hedging off of my plus 185 ticket before the series starts. And we'll be playing it back and forth because I expect the series to go back and forth. Uh, Thank you, Austin. I think we talked a lot about different bets that we're taking, different angles that we're playing, series bets, game one angles, player props, trends throughout the series to be watching for. Um, Before you go... I do want to let our listeners know some of the things that me and you are going to be talking about in the future, uh, because I think we're bringing some exciting content. Even though the season is wrapping up, we are still going to be aiming to talk maybe once a week um, and do something cool. Um, Hopefully, I can get you back next week, and we'll be mid-series, and we'll kind of check back in for this series if you're around. Uh, Otherwise, for our listeners who enjoy hearing me and Austin talk hoops, some of the things that we're going to be doing at the end of this season is doing a episode about rule changes and about all the different rule changes that we would like to see, format changes, uh, any type of change that we would like to bring to the NBA. We will discuss what the problem is and offer some sort of solution. That's going to be one fun episode. We're going to be breaking down the most influential voices in the NBA. So however you perceive that question, whether it be Uh, someone who talks a lot and who's on TV, whether it be a coach, a GM, a commissioner, uh, a podcaster, anyone in the world. It could be a player. It could be an ex-player, an owner, anything. Uh, The most influential voices that when you hear them, you know they are talking basketball and you should probably listen or that's going to bring you some sort of joy revolving around the game. And then second and then third, actually, we're going to be doing a – redraft of the 2017 NBA draft as this 22 NBA draft approaches. They always say with NBA, with kind of all types of drafts, you don't actually know for five years. So what are me and Austin going to do? We're going to hop in our DeLorean and go back five years. And we're going to redraft the Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, and Jason Tatum draft. Um, And we will be doing, we'll be redoing the NBA lottery and redrafting the top 14 as if we were starting a new team because now we know after five years how these players actually rank, we will give you what we project the ranks to be as draft season heats up. Uh, We're also going to be doing a ton of other like off-season topics, talking about teams, future win totals, what teams are going to be doing in the future, and a lot of other fun stuff. So make sure you are uh, subscribed to The Advantage and make sure you give us a rating and a review be very appreciative and we will see you guys soon. Austin, thank you for joining me today. I will surely talk to you soon.
Thank you for having me. This has been a blast. Looking forward to that draft especially. Yeah, that, that's going to be a good one. You want first pick or you want second pick in that one? I want first pick. It's Tatum, but we'll move on. Okay, wait, wait. Can I give you can I give you one one sneak preview of a of a rule change that I recently thought of? Please. This jump ball thing, we got to change the jump ball. Uh, there's no reason why, like, when Marcus Smart and Bam Adebayo get tied up for a ball, and Marcus Smart makes a great defensive play or like a rebound, and people get tied up. Like the height just becomes such an instant advantage for Adebayo. Like it just like. I mean, I'm like, I, and, I, I, as a as a short person here, I hate to break it to myself and my fans, but this is the heightest game, more lengthest these days. But I'm sorry, bud, that's part of it. You want to get there on the floor, then then your little your little short alligator arm should be quicker to pass it out. Then I I'm, as, I'm with you, but as a way you're, to you're speed, closer to the floor, as a way to speed up the game, as yeah. a way oh, to cut down on these like unnecessary like jump ball whatever situations. Yeah. I vote with not bringing in the possession arrow. I've heard some people say, let's bring back the possession arrow. Yeah, it works college in college. Side. It works in high school. Yeah. I say jump ball, tied up, give it to the defense. Oh, interesting. So you want to go street ball, which is always what you – I mean, again, if you tie someone up defensively in a pickup game, normally they give that to the defense because it's like, yep. you know, that doesn't happen a lot. That's on the offense. Interesting. I don't hate that. Um, rule changes like that are – are, are hard to kind of swallow before you see them, and then you realize, oh, that has no negative effect on the game at all, and if it moves things along, we're all for it, given, you know, how the game's been a little bit slow and a slower playoff. Do we really need to keep You're seeing creative. refs throw the ball up? It, not an exciting part of the game. Not anything really electric happens off a jump ball. You know, sometimes right, so you see a little That's just a sneak a preview. Guy. As well, you can see, like me and Austin come in with some uh, – weird angles to the game and we are always trying to improve our favorite product because it is our holiday season of the nba finals uh thanks again austin we'll talk soon have a good night